Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Long Box Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. Um, today we are using some new equipment for the first time. Hopefully you won't notice, or hopefully if you do notice, it'll be because we sound better. So, yeah, I hope not to record a little thing when I'm editing being like, I don't know what happened, sorry. But so far I think we're good. The, um, the sound looks the same as it normally does. Yeah, yeah. I think we're good, fingers crossed. Um, this week is going to be one of my picks. Last time we recorded, which in real time was like a couple weeks ago, I talked a big game and told you how your life was about to change and your eyes would be opened to this new incredible genre of comics called sports manga. And we're going to be discussing Blue Lock Volume 1. I think in the little talking we've had off air, your life wasn't quite as changed as I hoped. Are you sure this isn't a horror manga? It could be a horror manga. And that's part of why I like it. (laughs) But before we talk more about that and dive in, I'll go ahead and just do our usual obligatory creative team check. Um, The main creators, we have Muneyuki Kaneshiro, credited on story, with Yusuke Nomura providing the art. And then in terms of localization into English, we have translator Nate Dare, Chris Bergener on lettering, and then additional lettering and layout by Scott O'Brown. I'm not going to do like a whole story recap right up front. I figure we'll go sort of scene by scene, chapter by chapter in terms of like how I want to address a bunch of thematic stuff. But plot wise, just what you know going in, this is a soccer manga, football If you were talking about it anywhere other than in this shitty country, it's the football where you actually, like, touch the ball with your foot. You know, it's that football. There's the goals at both ends of the field, and you're trying to get the ball into the goal. Unless you're the other team, and you're trying to stop it from going into your goal. Yeah. People freak out about it, except in this country where they don't care as much. I don't know. Yeah. You might have an inkling listening that neither one of us is a particularly devout athlete or sports fan, and that's true. However, I am a huge fan of sports manga, which was part of why I picked this one. And I guess, did you have anything else you wanted to mention off top, or should we go ahead and dive into the story itself? Let's just dive in. So, before the actual core plot gets going and we meet our protagonists... Uh, Chapter 1 begins with a meeting of members of the Japan Football Union, and essentially the topic at hand is uh, there's a new hire named Henri Thierry. Apologies up front for hers and then any other names if I mispronounce them throughout the episode, but she is a new hire at the Japan Football Union, and she's essentially talking to other higher-ups who rank over her in seniority and age, and specifically she is the only woman in the room. So it's very much a young woman surrounded by all of these skeevy old men sort of scene. And yeah, this is essentially like the agency in charge of Japanese soccer. And Henri's concern is that at the rate things are going, 
Although Japan has progressed in the soccer world, she's worried that the country's team will never be able to go the further steps and ever take home anything like a World Cup victory. And essentially, the old men all kind of don't care. They're just kind of like, soccer is a business and we're making money. So if we don't ultimately win, who cares as long as we're getting money? And they all sort of laugh at the idea that Japan could ever win the World Cup. They're sort of resigned entirely to not winning and just like doing well but not being the best in the world. And she has spirit. She does not give in to that sort of attitude. And she proposes a plan to help progress the state of Japanese soccer, which is going to involve enlisting a specific coach whose name is Jinpachi Igo, and she says that he will have the power to help them destroy and remake what Japanese soccer is. And that's the opening scene plot-wise in terms of what happens before we meet our actual main characters. The thing about that summary I just gave you is that's plot-wise what happens, but I left out what is perhaps the most striking part of it, which is to say... Booba and Titty. What were your thoughts? Um, so, as the token straight on this podcast... Goddamn right, token. <laughs> Heterosexuality is not a norm here. I'm just sort of alarmed by it. Like, so, if you look at what she... So, in the scene, she is drawn, I would argue, in almost all panels, fairly normally. There's the usual, like, I think that's the usual stylization of, like, female faces that you just get in most manga. Like, it's the art style, it's not anything. She's wearing a black shirt, like, button-up with a blazer over it, and, like, it's buttoned to, like, a very normal button for people to button it to. You know, her skirt is an average length for a skirt to be. She looks like a businesswoman. And there is this one bizarre panel, which... I'm going to describe this panel and what you see in your head is going to be different than what it actually is because it is the least way of doing this where her shirt is like bulging because of the size of her breasts um, and it's like barely able to hold them in and it's like stretching around the buttons and you might imagine that this would be like it, the way the panel is angled you can barely see that that's what's happening. It's like there's these two little motion lines to the side of the titty. I thought that was her standing up. <laughs> That's the thing. She's also standing up in this scene. So I'm like, oh, she just stood up. Yeah, it's like afterwards you get like all the old men. Some of them have like little bits of dialogue reacting to like her appearance and like specifically citing her breasts. So like the dialogue tells you a bit that that's specifically what you're meant to be getting. It is a bit awkwardly done. Both in execution, and then obviously, of course, it's an awkward thing to do. And why is it here? Which I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, it's just like, there's the awkwardly placed motion line. The way it's drawn, it's like kind of hard to tell even like, is it that just we're meant to go, her tits are so big that they strain the fabric. Is it, oh no, a button came undone. Is it like you said, she just stood up and now the boobs are jiggling. It's just like there is some sort of titty movement and these men, who you know are her co-workers, largely probably all her superiors given that she's the new hire, you know, would be nice if they were listening to her talk, but the whole thing is basically just them all going, we're making money, who cares, ooh, boobah. They're so big. Um, speaking as the, the, the 
tit-interested person here, if you're going to do something this stupid, like, the dialogue makes it so that it is on the same kind of level as stuff like those grim fairy tales things, and I'm like, then just go all the way into the cheesecake? Like, I don't know, this weird half measure just feels weird and off-putting at the start of the comic. It is an awkward start. I forgot about it a little bit when I was picking this series, which... I guess just like real quick, the reason I picked this series specifically was that there's some genres we hadn't done that I wanted to cover, sports manga being among them, and Blue Lock, at the time we're recording this, this physical volume one only came out like a month or so ago. It had been like digital only before, so it was just like very fresh and new and in my mind. And I knew from when I read it digitally that there was some TNA. Well, I guess T and not so much the A, as you said. They mention her ass, but you don't even see it in the scene. This is what I mean. It just feels like it's badly done cheesecake. I'm like, if you're gonna do cheesecake, do it. Yeah. That I could, I, I can get, like, I don't like it, but I'll be like, okay, that's what that is. Yeah, I had forgot that it was literally the first thing in the entire <laughs> comic, which I think, I might be wrong, I think the demographic descriptor in Japan for this is seinen, so like young men. Maybe it's shonen, but I think it's the slightly older seinen. And this sort of thing isn't unusual in manga aimed at that demographic of like men in general and like younger men especially. It's also not unusual like in sports manga specifically within that demographic. But the sort of... I'm struggling with how to phrase this because I don't necessarily want to use the word fortunately because it's like a double-edged thing of there often is some like objectification of women in these stories but it's often less than in some other male-oriented manga because it will be a male team sport and therefore women will barely be on panel to be objectified so you kind of have to take your priority of would you want more women on screen or are you good with them not being there so you don't have to focus on the booba so much? <laughs> this is all assuming that a well-written, respectful treatment of a woman is not an option you have on the table, which is frequently not what you get. <sighs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, so after after the booba, we get a, a hard cut to meeting our protagonist in the series. His name is Yoichi Isagi. Um, he is a second year in high school, and he is a forward. We are seeing him in the middle of a soccer game. Uh, his team is essentially, they're really good, but they're not like best in the nation. Essentially, if they win this game, they'll get to go the next step forward to make it to the national tournament. So, like, they've done very well already, and they're working really hard to make it to, like, the best of the best, like, sort of final layers of the tournament. And essentially what happens here if Yoichi is going to be working to set up a bunch of thematic stuff that we'll get into as it keeps coming up and its, like, relevance and importance becomes more and more emphasized to future events. But essentially it all comes down to the fact that... Yoichi is on the type of team that has always emphasized teamwork, and soccer is a game that 11 players play together, you're not playing by yourself, and it's coming up on the end of the game. He has a chance to tie it, 
because they're basically a point behind. And if he can just tie it, so they'll go into overtime and still have a chance, basically. And he's in a position where he could kick the ball. However, one of his teammates is off to the side and probably has a higher chance of definitely getting it in. And so he sort of uh, dampens his inner sense of like wanting to go for it and passes to the teammates and just like the spirit of teamwork. And hopefully this is the smartest way of the highest percent chance that we'll all get to go on. And then his teammate manages to fumble the shot and they lose the game. And from there we get, I suppose real quick, I should also mention on the opposing team, we introduce a character named Ryosuke Kira and he'll come up more after this, but essentially just to let you know that Kira is a pretty famous, well-regarded athlete in their age group, like considered one of the best in Japan. Uh, so just a good rival character up front. But like I said, Yoichi's team beefs it, they lose, and we then get all of the sort of morning scenes afterward that sort of highlight everyone's approaches to the game. We get uh, Kira talking to reporters being like, well, I'm only able to win because of all of my teammates. And it's a sort of like smiley, charming, sort of grateful thing. But then we cut back to Yoichi's team. The coach is giving this speech about how I hope that you see this loss is not just a loss and you've done so good and in my heart we're the best team in japan as he's crying with these clenched teeth and furrowed brow he looks like he's constipated and unable to shit his (laughs) um, this is this is full like peter parker holding back the um the big subway train in spider-man 2 that one good god um (laughs) But yeah, we get just like the team crying, like lots of them crying alongside the coach. And meanwhile, Yoichi is standing there not crying. And basically the juxtaposition is the coach says, To me, Ichinan's soccer team is the best team in Japan. And Yoichi is just thinking, No, we're just a team that couldn't take that last step to nationals. And we basically just have Yoichi struggling with his grief over having lost when obviously, you know, no athlete that's devoted like he is wants to lose and he cares about the sport. And he's dealing with the grief of losing the game as well as starting to get that sort of mental question in his mind with regards to teamwork and the eternal what if of like, what if I had made the shot myself? Uh, Before we move on with like the plot, I do want to say... My favorite thing about this whole book is the way the actual playing of the game is drawn. Like, it's not just that the characters are well drawn, because they they generally are. I will talk about some things that terrify me. <laughs> Those are coming. But in, it, at this point, everyone is vaguely humanoid, um, which is a relief. Um, but, like, as someone who doesn't know sports... I mean, I, I guess I know how soccer works. I know how football works. Fuck it. We're, we're a football podcast. It's called football here. You're going to deal with it. I know how football works. But, like, it's it's very clear what's happening, where everyone is. 
you know, what direction the characters are needing to go in. It's very fast-paced. The panels are um, all angled to create, like, a sense of movement, but, like, there's enough of the wide shots and positioning of the team. You know where they still are. The motion lines are used really effectively to just draw your eye into, like, important points on the page. Like, it's very well done. Soccer game. That it's a soccer game is kind of where it starts to lose me, because you're never going to get me that invested in a sports game, but um, it's a very well-drawn sports game. If this was an action scene, I'd be praising it even more so. A few thoughts. One is, I will get you that invested in a sports game. This may not have been the sports manga to do it, but we're going to keep trying until we get you there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, one of the most important parts of any sports manga is naturally going to be how the sport is artistically depicted. And part of the importance of the scene, beyond what it sets up thematically with Yoichi and thoughts of losing or winning and teamwork or solo work, is of course just, this is a football manga. We picked it up ready for football action, and it's giving action, you know, and like, sports manga in its own way, like, it really is action manga, because, you know, just, it has to choreograph in the way that action series do, where it does everything you talked about of, like, angling panels, we zoom around from different perspectives, you know, like, there's controlled chaos in a way that, like, A, keeps events, like, easy to follow so that you can read it and understand, but also, like, stops and slows and then increases and, like, tracks, like, adjustments in speed and angle as, like, the ball literally moves as everyone's running around. There's sort of just, like, this frantic sense replicating, you know, how the players would be feeling as they're playing and just the shots moving around because we just have so many people and... There's just, like, a great variety of, like, there will be pages of, like, a ton of panels. But then uh, the team will know when to slow down for a sec and give us just, like, a great two-page spread of knowing, like, just which, like, about-to-kick moment is, like, the one to zoom in on of, like, making the attempt and just, like, knowing what to put emphasis on and... It's fun. It's exciting. It's much less dramatic and intense, I would say, than other games later in this book. But I think it's a pretty good first impression of, like, the artist's ability to draw soccer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. (laughs) Now that I've gone on and on about that. But essentially, as we said, um, Yoichi starts to have questions and doubts in his mind about what if he had done something differently And he's, like, walking his bike home after the match because they lost. There's nothing left for him to do but go home. Season's over. It's sad boy time. And he's, like, you know, having the regretful feelings about the match. We get a little, like, flashback, specifically saying he was inspired as a child by a European soccer player named Noel Noah, who I believe is a real person. They cite a bunch of, like, real names throughout the series, like some, like, Ronaldo and stuff I recognize. So it's just sort of doing that whole sort of familiar, I was a child and this thing reached out to me and really struck me and I've devoted my life ever since. And we sort of get, like, this very quick little montage of how he got into soccer really young. He was really good at it in terms of, like, at least 
his age group and where he grew up, you know, like he's not best in the nation, but he's always been like among the best at his school. It's that sort of thing. And there's sort of tension between, you know, feeling like you're good and succeeding so much, but then coming up against the wall of defeat and being like, maybe I'm not that good. And again, flashing back specifically to Kira, who is like a national prodigy. And yeah, we just get him explicitly wondering could he have changed his destiny if he had taken the shot himself? But then just, you know, just lots of mental anguish going back and forth about teamwork. And then we get just the wonderful obligatory scream in frustration. And there's some little kids who are nearby because he's still just outside walking his way home. And they're like freaked out and run away. But we just get this wonderful thing of him screaming really loudly. Uh, The lettering is like all like big and bold and like, I guess almost as if it was like done with just like a giant ink brush. It's like much more sort of like horror scream sort of typeface. And we get that, and then we get the immediate contrast from anger immediately shifting to vulnerability with the text, I wanted to win, dot, 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 with the shots where the, like, camera angle is, like, you're looking up at him as if your line of sight is from the ground as he's peering down and he's crying and there are tears descending, falling down towards the reader And you can even see like a little bit of snot on the nose and like the furrowed chin and those nice dramatic crying faces. That's, that's what sports manga is all about. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing is the lettering, especially when like, because this bubble, speech bubble that this lettering is in was not like drawn in for English lettering. So the fact that they've made this work so well that like, if you put this in a Western comic where it is designed for English lettering. I think I'd do this, like, the same way. Really, really good job on the translation and, like, the graphics team who did that. Yeah, it's like, whatever you picture when you picture a ward bubble, it's not that. Because it's, like, twisting and jagged. They had to have, like, hand-drawn, like, the dimensions of this bubble. Like, this would not be a preset that you could just use immediately saved in a program yeah um props to chris bergener or possibly scott o'brown uh there's lettering and additional lettering which one of you did that well done yeah it's very nice and from here he goes home to his house where we get a little view of what his family life is like where his parents are supportive but they're not like the go to every game type of family you know like they didn't actually go to the game you know hence why he had to go home by himself and it's like they're nice and you know somewhat supportive but they're not like they've never cared enough to like learn much about soccer you know there's jokes about them being like what does that mean i have no fucking clue so it's a very like nice family life sort of idyllic but not like super intense just kind of relaxed and when he gets home uh they tell him that he's received a letter uh from the japan football union inviting him to attend a special training program the titular blue lock which the letter doesn't call it that yet but this is him getting the invite to the hyper dramatic training camp from hell where this is about to become a horror manga just 300 children trapped with 
the Joker's shape-shifting clone monster that's actively being possessed by the little girl from The Exorcist. God, um, <laughs> when he gets invited to the program, there is this nice shot of him, like, just really wide-eyed, and then there's, like, the sweat drop down his face, but just, like, I love the hyper-dramatic facial expressions. There's plenty more examples throughout, but you know, like I've talked about the crying faces and then his shocked face here. I guess, what do you think of like the hyper dramatic emoting and just like how characters' emotions are displayed? So, so far it's fine. It's not my vibe usually. A a reason I always was like weirded out by the Teen Titans TV show a little bit is because I was like, the only one with a weird shape-shifting power that means he can make his face look like that is Beast Boy. What is happening right now? I guess that's because I'm boring. <laughs> I think there's just sort of like different cultural things in terms of what sort of cartooning and like facial exaggeration we're used to. You know, because like this sort of like fluidity of a facial structure will change for a panel to emphasize a gag or horror or some sort of just big emotional rift. I think it's probably safe to say that's much more common to see across manga than it would be in, say, like mainstream American comic books, where if a character's face looks wildly different in the next panel, it's probably because they have 17 different pencilers on a single goddamn issue. See, I like a shapeshifter who does that, though, so I think maybe I'm just a jackass. You're fine. <laughs> um, I take it like you're not generally into it. It's just sort of like a stylistic choice where it's, like, not literal. The stylism so far, I think that I made fun of the face that the coach had had, but the rest of it has worked for me so far in this comic. Like, at this point where we're at right now, including, like, the gulp face, I think works really well. The big white eyes. Everyone's got big eyes already. It's already stylized consistently this way, so I think in this case it does work for me. It's about to not work for me, but that's... It's not these characters. This is fine. I'm fine with it. It's okay. It's getting the emotion across. It's doing the job. I think what you're alluding to is the high camp horror sensibility that we'll get to in a minute. But essentially, we're gonna flash forward. Yoichi is going to the designated place where he's supposed to meet up to find out more about this training program. On his way inside, he runs into Kira. There's a whole thing of, like, Kira praising him and being like, if you had been on my team, I know it would have been great. And he, like, feels good about himself being praised by this prodigy. And it's just sort of a whole thing of, like, this man is famous and talented, and also he's so nice. Oh my god. This is the first part of the homoeroticism that I found out is not going to be followed up on. Kira has a little gleam next to him when he walks up. There's like just a couple panels like that throughout this that literally I was expecting at some point for this to be a gay comic and then it just isn't. I imagine it probably also would have pushed that sort of expectation just knowing it was a thing that I specifically was having you read. Yes. <laughs> Um, I was thinking of the other manga we have read, and I was like, oh yes, this seems about right. You mean the other manga where they would literally be fucking each other by this long into the page count? I, I thought it was a slow burn. Uh, don't worry, I'll get you some more slow burn gay stuff. There was stuff. no fucking in Requiem for the Rose King. That's fair. Um, <laughs> that was about as slow a burn as this. 
Requiem is a very slow burn, that's fair. And, yeah, the fucking was in Fangs. The rest of the fucking you have not yet gotten to in Spider-Man the manga, but... Oh, God. Um, I looked at those. It was weird. <laughs> it sure is. Um, but, anywho, um, yeah, I think we were off mic when we talked about this a little bit, but just, yeah, like... Sports manga usually is, like, thematically homoerotic, but not, like, literally on the page. But then you still get, like, the fandom will just know how to read, and therefore most of the ships and, like, fan art and stuff will be gay. Partially because there's almost no female characters there to use, and then partially because he's literally gleaming, this is really easy to make fanfic of. He just praised me. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is as subtle as a Claremont comic. Yeah, they're not bound enough for a Claremont comic. Oh, that's true. You're right. Absolutely no one is in bondage gear. Also, no one is transracial here, so... Oh, God. That only (laughs) happened, like, four or five times in 17 years. You know, only every three years or so. (laughs) Um... Two of them were at once. The two best buds who I'm sure you can find a wealth of gay fanfic for walk into the meeting room together and they are immediately overwhelmed by how many other of their peers are there. It's just a bunch of guys, other soccer players their age. Uh, Some of them are pretty famous nationally, some of them they don't know. Room is crowded as hell. We'll find out there's exactly 300 of them. And it's at this point where once everyone's arrived, uh, Jinpachi Ego, who is the coach that haunts my dreams... I was going to say that was alluded to at the end of, like, the prologue, where the new hire was like, this is the man who's going to change Japanese soccer. And he says a lot of things here that I'm just going to direct quote off of the page. And essentially with this character, a thing to keep in mind is he'll often, like, fidget or, like, stutter starting. But then once he is talking, he's very abrasive and blunt. And all caps, bold, huge type font. He's screaming at them all the time. Yes. And like, there's also like physical mannerisms, which I'll wait to get to after I do some of the dialogue. But this is a creature. And this monster up there, I'm just going to read verbatim. Ahem. Uh, er. Congrats, you unpolished lumps of talent. According to my personal judgment... The 300 of you are the best strikers under 18. My name is Jimpachi Ego. I was hired to give Japan a World Cup victory. I'll say this plainly. Only one thing is necessary for Japanese soccer to become the best in the world. The birth of a revolutionary striker. You 300 will be my subjects in an experiment aimed at creating the world's best striker. Behold... The facility built to conduct that experiment. Blue Lock. And at this point, like, behind him, we get, like, a presentation screen uh, showing, like, an architectural overview of the facility. What? (laughs) I literally am now just realizing that it's a pentagon because soccer balls are covered in pentagons. Football balls are covered in pentagons. Yeah. Fucking hell. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) Me looking at it and noticing that it's got pentagons inside of pentagons, and I was like, oh shit, that's why it's a pentagon. It's been confusing me this whole time. But... 
He says, Starting today, you'll all be living here together while undergoing the special training I've devised. You can't return to your homes, and this marks the end of your previous soccer careers. But I promise this. Whoever survives this blue lock and outlasts the other 299, the last remaining player will become the world's best striker. That concludes my explanation. Thank you. And I guess before we get into more of their reactions and more of the speech, we can go ahead and sort of start talking about, like, his physical mannerisms and everything you find so terrifying. This man is, like, very tall and lanky. His neck is about the same length as his head. This is one long-necked bitch. This... If, if the Joker and a giraffe got together and had a baby, and then he became weirdly obsessed with soccer. It's giving dinosaur. It's giving brachiosaur. Is that right? Bra- brachiosaur. Brachiosaur. Brontosaur, chimerosaur, sauropods. Sauropods. It, it's giving vegetarian reptile. <laughs> and he also... If he showed up in the inferno, I would not have been shocked. Yeah, he does a lot of motioning with his hands as he talks, and will sometimes get these nice close-ups on his hands and his fingers, which he, like, bends and fidgets in these really unnatural and creepy-looking ways. This is his least creepy speech, and it's, like, the hands are giving Steve Ditko. They're Ditko hands. He's got Ditko hands attached to, um, okay, you know those things that, like, the fan things that you have outside used car lots that wave around in the wind? Yeah, he's one of those, but then with Steve Ditko hands at the end and the Joker's head on top. Yeah, and it's high camp and it's body horror all at the same time. We've talked before recording about how a lot of what does nothing for you is what does everything for me. Here, we have the exact same thoughts about this comic, but completely different opinions. Yes, and it's like, I take it that, like, you're not loving the visuals of Ego, whereas I think he is a high camp horror icon, and I want to be him when I grow up. I'm just confused as to why he's here. He's... I wasn't expecting a Saw remake when I read this comic. Truly. I'll I'll get into some more Saw comparisons later, too. I've not seen any Saw movies, so I may not understand them. I've only seen one, but really my point just being this is a horrifying bitch. But essentially, everyone's sort of murmuring in reaction, and Kira, being the golden boy, future of Japanese soccer, lover of his teammates, is just like... I can't agree to all that. Teamwork's important. I love my team. We have nationals. Why would we give up our careers? And everyone's just kind of like, yeah, what's the deal with this guy? Like, none of this is realistic. And so he starts fidgeting and scratching his head. And I'll do some more direct quotes. I see. You're all really terrible, huh? Then fuck off! If you want to leave, I won't stop you. You're worried about your teams? Instead of becoming the world's best, you'd rather be the best high schooler in our country's soccer backwater? Huh? I get depressed when I think about people like you carrying the future of Japanese soccer. Listen, the capacity for teamwork in Japanese soccer is the best in the world. You could call it a national gift, born of our considerate nature, but besides that, everything else about us is second-rate. 
Let me ask you, just what is soccer? A team sport played together by 11 comrades? A band of brothers each relying on the others? Wrong. And that's why this country's game has always been weak. I'll tell you, soccer is a sport in which you must score more points than your opponent. Whoever scores the most points is the best. If you want to play at getting along, then piss off. I want to reiterate that this is a grown man saying all of this to, like, 16-year-old boys. Um, so the initial panels where he starts this speech, he literally looks like he's being held up by marionette strings, and his eyes have grown to be three sizes larger than his glasses are, and they're, like, really wide, and the pupil is really tiny, and I, I mentioned the girl from the ex- like, he looks possessed, and I'm just like- why is this thing looking at me? Yeah, like, his hands are very thin and bony. And marionette is a really good descriptor of just, like, the way that, like, his arms are up and, like, bent upward at the elbow. And then just, like, the unnatural way that he's, like, flexing his hands and his fingers. All while everything you said about the eyes and, again, that dinosaur neck... His neck has also actually grown longer for these panels as well. They, they, the One of the weird lines in the weird sexism part at the beginning is like, oh my god, does her butt get bigger when she's mad or something? Does his neck get longer when he's excited? When he's excited and when he's mad, which are kind of the same thing for his role in the plot. He's either just there or he's screaming at the top of his lungs about something, this guy. It's like, he's so calm until he just deems them pathetic. By the way, his last name is Ego, if you didn't get this. Just like, just, 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 it, his last name is Ego. It's Camp. I love it. Which, actually, it's the exact same thing that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 did, but in that, he's wrong, and I think this comic agrees with this guy. I think it's an interesting question, sort of, at the center of the manga, which I've read, I think, up through Volume 4, you know, and like, in terms of the program certainly agrees with him because it's designed by him. I think just sort of like that question of teamwork versus self-success, even at the expense of others. I guess we can go ahead and just talk about that thematically. You know, I think it's really at the heart of this comic. And, you know, it plays in already with right before this meeting... You know, part of why Yoichi is going to be so affected by this is because he's already in a mental state where he's predisposed to think, what if I had taken that shot myself? And you've never read sports manga before, but you know, I don't think it's particularly unique in sports coverage. In the sense, I mean, that sports movies and stuff, you know, I think it's fair to say largely emphasize teamwork. You know, people talk about loving their teams, you know, so it's no surprise then that sports manga often, you know, the team bonds are a huge thing and you grow to love the team of characters. And this is very starkly opposing that. And even the idea of that is met with a literal fuck off. I guess, how did you feel just about, like, this thematically, and did these stakes, like, interest you at all? Um, I, I think that, like, it, this guy showing up is the point where the comic becomes a horror show that doesn't quite work for me, but also I think that, like, 
the stuff that it's doing, like ego versus teamwork, is the most interesting stuff it's done on a character level. Um, specifically seen, I'm just gonna spoil the fuck out of it, when Kira gets kicked out at the end, and he has a very egotistical freakout when he's been the character who's most talking about teamwork and stuff like that, I thought that was a really interesting choice from, like, the creators, and part of why I say I think the comic agrees with Ego, um, overall, because literally the character who is most supporting teamwork in the end of the book just wants his own career to be good and he's only doing teamwork because he thinks that's the way for him to succeed it's very cynical yeah there's that sort of thing of like the question of just like ego for each character and you know they have different degrees to like how blunt or how they express that sort of ego like what it means in outward behavior but just like that sort of concept of ego as something they have to contend with in Blue Lock, and then also sort of a related concept of, like, monstrousness, which I guess I'll wait to get to until it comes up by name. But, yeah, I really like that moment with Kira, too. Cynical's not a bad thing, I'm just saying that, like, it's a very cynical moment, and that's interesting and a bit different, I imagine, for most sports things that I've encountered. Yeah. On that note, I'll go ahead and just sort of, like, rush through the rest of the meeting with Ego, where, like, Kira keeps fighting it. He talks about all these sports players that he loves that, like, talk about loving their teammates. And Ego's just like, well, they haven't won the World Cup, so I guess they're fucking shit now, aren't they? That time was not me reading explicitly, but it may as well have been. They're trash. (laughs) Yeah, and then he, like, starts quoting, like, real-world high-level soccer players with things like... I don't care about my team, I just want to win. And just continuing to present this philosophy of to be the best is to prioritize yourself. And at this point, like, Ego tells them all to envision you're at clutch time in a game, the very end, you have a chance to make a shot yourself, but you also have a teammate to the side who might have a higher probability of getting it. But do you shoot yourself without hesitation? Those are the sorts of egoists who have what it takes for Blue Lock. And as he's saying this, uh, Yoichi is envisioning himself back in a similar situation to at the beginning of the manga. And we get these dramatic shots of him, like in his mind, doing the pivotal moment, kicking the ball, fully darkened eyes. There's a bit of like aura of like gray smudge around him that will like get recurring throughout of just a sort of like energy when he or other characters give in to their ego. And yeah, ego says these are the kind of people who are welcome in Blue Lock. And with just all the emotional everything Yoichi's been through, and then how this is coming up on all the issues he's been debating himself, he declares to himself, I'm a striker. And we get this two-page spread that's just him. I don't even know how to describe this face, but there's like a hint of that gray energy he's at the eye. has got a fish eye. Yeah, like a fish eye. With but a little... the fish is like four times bigger than him and they put that eye on his face. Yeah, as he just runs for the open door into the program and he's like the first one And then all the rest of the 300 follow after him as they're all taking their chance to become the world's best striker. And it's stated that all 300 have agreed to take part. And it's all going to begin from here. And essentially at this point we have uh, everyone gets on buses. They go to the actual gigantic blue lock facility. 
which I will say, for an association where it seemed like the higher-ups didn't believe in any of this sort of program's ideas, they sure spent a lot of fucking money. <laughs> Proving once and for all that basically no matter what, the sports programs are going to get more money than the arts programs, which is fucking bullshit. Would you like me to have you read a really nice arts manga? Because <laughs> I have some of those we could read. Is there a manga about people putting on a play but also being pissed off every time the footballers get a new uniform? I haven't read it, but probably. <laughs> but essentially, when they arrive... Um, our viewpoint character, again, is going to be Yoichi mainly. And they get off the bus, they arrive, each player gets a uniform, and on the side of the arm, there's sort of like an individual badge where they each have a number and a letter. And Yoichi gets the number 299 and the letter Z. And he's told to go to room Z. Uh, each player's letter corresponds to a room, A through Z, in this massive facility. And he goes to room Z and finds 11 other young men. Kira is among them. The rest of them are characters we don't yet know. Um, so it's a dozen of the 300 have been summoned to room Z for their first part at Blue Lock. And yeah, Kira is happy to see Yoichi. Thank God I see someone I know, yada yada. One of them is ripped as hell. It's the gleam moment again. It's just, this was another panel I'm like, okay, at some point, some boys are going to kiss, right? Like, how often do you get a moment where someone is looking at someone, sweating from looking at them and going, his body is crazy. That's even the same speech bubble that those weird creepy guys had about, um, Henri, right? At the beginning of the book. Similar enough. But yeah, this is, this is not... But Textually this is, gay. This is drawn in way more detail than that non-cheesecake cheesecake moment at the beginning. This is cheesecake. You mean beefcake? Beefcake. It's beefcake. Wow. Yeah, you're right. There is actually a name for that. This man's shoulder blades are ridiculous. He's ripped as hell. I suppose I keep saying, like, there's got to be gay fan work of this. Maybe not that much yet, because the fandom's probably not that big yet. Another part of why I picked this, and part of why it just got the print release, is because the anime adaptation is going to start in a couple months, and I guarantee you there's going to be gay art of these two. There's going to be a lot of it. But, yeah, just intimidatingly large man. We take a quick look around the room, we get a little more first impressions. One of them is sleeping on the ground, sucking his thumb. We also meet probably the... One of the main ones here we get is Gurumu or Gurimu Igarashi, who is like nice and friendly, and he talks about how he grew up at a temple. It doesn't specifically say Buddhist, but I'm assuming like a Buddhist temple, like a religious temple, where the expectation has been that he would take up the family temple um, once the like, I guess, you know, just like upon parents' retirement when he came of age, yada yada. And... He doesn't want to have his life dictated for him like that. And his dad promised that he wouldn't have to do that work if he could become a pro soccer player. So now here he is. That motivation. Classic. Just very, like, sweet, wide-eyed. I'm here to control my own destiny. He's a little intense. Yeah, it's like a little too much. But I think this is meant to be the most innocent and likable character 
even though he is still very intense. Sorry, I'm looking at the panel of Jimpachi Ego on the next page, and I'm just... I'm having some nightmares about it. Yeah, so back to Saw. Ego's face appears on a large monitor on the top one of the walls. He goes, Are you done changing, you lumps of talent? Because they've, like, all been instructed to immediately get into uniform because they're gonna start training. And as he's waving hello, the way that this hand is drawn... I'm not sure properly how to describe it exactly, but it's so fucking creepy. It's like he's curling his fingers in a way that makes them look broken. He's not waving. He's got like a half-closed hand that is twitching at them. Like, I can't imagine this man moving in like a smooth way. He's like jerking around. Everything is very harsh and jagged. His mouth is like open and like curved downwards as he's saying this. His nose, it's like the nostrils are also very slit-like. Like, in this specific panel, even more than usual. It's full Voldemort in this panel. He's giving Voldemort nose. Yeah, it's like Voldemort. It's like this panel is more snake than dinosaur, but still very reptilian. I I find him alarming. Again, we're like, we're observing the same thing, and it's like we have the same thought up to a point where it's like, you go, it's very alarming, I go, it's very alarming, and it's camp, and I love it. I, I don't think it's bad, I, it's just not for me. I think that's my conclusion about this. Between this and Animorphs, I guess, have we uncovered that maybe I have more of a propensity for body horror than you do? No, you definitely do. That said, I like Animorphs, and I enjoy the body horror in that, so I don't know. This one just isn't working for me as well. But anyway... Maybe if they reveal in Volume 2 that he actually is being possessed by demons, I could get with that plotline. If that happens, it won't be at least until Volume 5, because I have read through Volume 4. But he tells them all that the others in the room are going to be not just their roommates, but rivals. They'll push each other. And at this point, he gives a bit of explanation about the Blue Lock program. And he basically says he's used his own personal judgment and methods to quantify each of their skills. And he's given everyone in Blue Lock a number from 1 to 300, with 1 being the best, 300 being the lowest. And essentially these numbers are going to be able to fluctuate up and down in accordance with performance across the program. And then again just like the letters like the letter z just as like which room which team they are and i'll remind you that yoichi has the number 299 so he has been ranked the second worst of the 300 with the temple boy being number 300 so the friendly guy being the only one who's beneath him so we're starting our protagonist at the very bottom for him to have to climb up from not to mention noted homophobic jackass Orson Scott Card, but it has occurred to me how much this setup is like the battle school from Ender's Game, where you have all the different groups that are set up, and they're competing, and like, I mean in that, it's like preparing the children to like fight wars, but like the games that they're playing are meant to weed out the weaker, like, strategic thinkers and stuff. And this is, like, such a similar setup to that. I'm trying to think of something else that does, like, that thing where there's, like, a boarding school where it's a competition. And there's nothing that I've read. I think boarding school competition is also, like, really crucial to what it is, too. Because, like, I believe I mentioned earlier the fact that 
They're not allowed to leave. They are fully moved in here. No family, no outside contact. Their phones are taken away when they arrive. This is full on, no outside sources. This is going to be their life with all of the like mental horror, high stress situation dynamics that that brings. And um, Ego lays out a few more facts saying that the top five at the end of the program will automatically be registered for the U-20 World Cup, which is a football tournament of U-20 being under 20. So just like essentially the youth version of the World Cup. And whoever manages to finish in the top five of this program will automatically be able to participate to represent Japan. However, everyone who fails the program and is uh, eliminated from it, and, you know, eliminations will see more as the series progresses and what that means and how that transpires, but anyone who loses will forever be barred from representing Japan on the international football stage. So it's basically threatening them with the end of their careers before they can even have a career. He's just so fucking frightening. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's it's a completely insane situation. And immediately after laying all of this out, he says it's time for the first exercise in Blue Lock. They're going to be playing a game of tag with a soccer ball. It drops out of a terrifying trap door in the ceiling. Yes. Is that how they get their food as well? Are they just trapped in that room for the rest of the comic? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but yeah, the ball drops down. They have to play a game of soccer tag. You know, it's basically like soccer in that they're not allowed to use their hands, but otherwise, using the ball, have to tag each other. And essentially, the motivation here is that whoever is it at the very end of the game is automatically eliminated from the program, and by extension, their soccer career is over. Or, as Ego puts it, whoever's it when time runs out has to piss off back home. Obviously, like, you know... If this approach, if this premise was taken with a more serious eye in terms of just this horrendous environment, you know, this could be a horror manga of a different sort. But just as a cartoonish, like, highly exaggerated anatomy figure from hell, I love Ego. And, like, honestly, I think part of what works for me with his dramatization is that... Even though it's super intense, it sort of adds a levity that stops you from sitting down and thinking, this is a torture camp. That's how you get kids, like, killing each other secretly in the bathrooms, because someone's got a higher soccer number than them, and now their entire lives are about this 24-7. That's how you drive them all insane. Yeah. The time starts... Garimu uh, Igarashi, the temple boy, the wannabe pro, is made it at the very beginning. I suppose it's the fairest since he's the lowest number. He has to prove himself. And from then we get our next little, I'll just say our next soccer scene. Like it's not an actual game, but it's them all throwing the damn or kicking rather the damn ball around. It's our next real soccer scene. Hyper dramatic, just anglings. Uh, twists in perspectives, really dramatic paneling, like earlier, and it's really intense. There are multiple points in which there is straight-up physical assault, but it is deemed okay, because as long as you didn't use your hands, 
That's mm. what I was just talking about. These kids are going to kill each other. Someone is going to get strangled by having someone's foot on their neck, and it's going to be seen as absolutely fine. Didn't use his hands. Yeah, because, like, we get our first injuries here because, like, uh, one main example, the temple boy sees that the sleeping boy from earlier is still on the ground, seemingly asleep. And so the temple boy is, like, laughing and, you know, is getting ready to tag him. Like, this is the easy one. And when he goes for it, the sleeping boy dodges. And I can't even describe what this is doing verbally, but does this frankly acrobatic maneuver where he evades the soccer ball and kicks this bitch in the face. It looks very painful. There's a lot of really nice motion line work heading right like, towards the point of impact. And yeah, no, and the movement is captured really nicely. It's an excellent panel. Yeah, and like... Earlier, all of the crying and screaming, I also like the lettering font choices for the sound effects. It's very, like, big, bold, black, like, ink strokes, like, brush strokes. You know, it's not, like, a thin and pristine font. It's very just, like, eye-catching and dramatic to match the literal just punch to the face. From here, we get just lots of the ball going around... You know, people have their various turns being it. We get little moments of the various different characters, including Rinsuke Kunigami, who is the one who Yoichi was like, his body is crazy. And his whole thing is just, you know, being big and buff and intimidating. Long story short, at one point some players collide. The temple boy ends up with an injured ankle really can't move around, but there's still time on the clock. So he would be the easy one to tag and for like whoever's it to just tag him and then he'll be easy to dodge and he would be the obvious one to go home. And at this point, Yoichi is it. And he's thinking about all of this and he's thinking in his head about like how he's now realizing that if he wants to win, that means there has to be a loser and making his dream come true means crushing someone else's. And there's that sort of stuff. But before he tags him, we get this nice still panel of Temple Boy like flinching, looking away. Yoichi has stopped the ball with his foot, like inches away from this boy, and realizes that if he wants to be the best, he can't just go for the safe options like he thinks he always has, a la when he passed to his teammate in that one pivotal game. In order to grow and become the best striker, he needs to make these really bold, shocking choices and go to try and fight people who are stronger than him and not weaker. He's gonna go for someone else. The sleepy bendy boy intentionally steals the ball from him, becomes it on purpose. Just sort of showing just like how demented this guy is, where he's willing to become it and fuck around for a minute. He then ultimately passes it back to Yoichi, who's thinking about, you know, taking down the strongest guy, and with mere seconds left in the game of tag, he kicks the ball to Kira, and by to Kira, I don't mean passing like he would in a game, I mean he kicks it, and we get this amazing panel of the ball slamming into Kira's face with a pow, and with what would have to result in a broken nose, and the next panel shows him flying towards the ground with a literal stream of blood pouring up from his nose. I can say from experience that that hurts like hell. 
experience like in soccer specifically? No, I mean just walking past the soccer field and getting whacked in the face at elementary school. <laughs> Happened oh. four times in one year. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I was not in the game. You got so much gay passion for a straight boy, I swear to God. <laughs> I want to note that his pupil is literally coming out of his eye in this panel. It's so incredible. Just the drama. And we get the buzzer sounding at zero. Kira is the one who is lost. He's looking at Yoichi shocked, just like, you know, like, I thought we got along. Why would you do this to me? And... We then pretty immediately get Ego's appearance, comes right back up on the screen, uh, slow clapping, looking like an instrument of terror. He is Jigsaw on the monitor. He is RuPaul at the top of the episode, telling the contestants how he's about to fuck with them this week. And I'll do another direct reading. Good work, you lumps of talent. Results are everything here. Now get out, loser. Ryosuke Kira, you're disqualified. And this is when we get that moment that you mentioned earlier, where up until this point, uh, Kira has been the friendly teamwork character, keeps sticking to that principle. But when it's time for him to lose, he's having this conniption, this tantrum. He literally says, I'm the jewel of Japanese soccer. Are you saying Asagi-kun or Igaguri have more talent than me? And it's just like this petulant, why should I be punished like this? What does this game have to do with soccer? What is this shit? I'm too good for this. At which point Ego just does a whole lot of explaining more of the logistics of the facility, where he's like, look around at the room you're playing in. This is the exact same size as the penalty area of a soccer field, where most goals happen. The, like, specific length of the tag game has a specific reason for it and corresponding to, like, a real game amount of time when a player will have the ball. And Kira is like, I couldn't do anything at the end. At which point, Ego points out there was still a second on the clock when he got punched in the face. And if he had just reacted better and not given up, he could have taken that second to kick the ball at the injured Temple Boy, and he surely would have progressed but because he gave up defeat, he missed out on that chance. And essentially, yeah, just a lot of you need to work hard until the last second and be obsessed with your victory. Don't be swayed by common sense of others. That's the egoism of a striker. And Kira ran from that, so he's disqualified. And we just get another incredible horror panel of his face where his eyes are bulging. There's so much sweat. Uh, he looks just generally sort of roughed up and scratchy, and he's biting his bloody lip as he leaves, and it's really good. He is slowly transforming into a werewolf. Yeah, um, shortly after this, in the discussion, uh, Ego says, Yes, it's absurd. This is the world of competition. The world-class strikers you so casually admire face these competitions every day as they survive by risking their lives. How's it feel risking your lives for the first time since you've been born? Are you spooked? Are you shocked? This is just the way things are in Blue Lock. It's clear now, right? You realize how shabby and mediocre your soccer lives were up until now? And you trembled, didn't you? Yes, I survived. 
That's victory. Carve it into your brains. Every time you feel that pleasant sensation, your ego will grow, and you'll get closer and closer to becoming the world's best striker. Congratulations, you've passed the blue lock entrance test. His face. He's going to eat these children alive. He's going to specifically unhinge his jaw and anaconda these bitches. Eat them whole. I mean, like, physically eat them. His very stretchy body will literally Amazon rainforest snake absorb them. There's a few more chapters after this. Um, we're going long already, and these were really the crux of introducing the premise and theme, so I'll be much quicker about saying what happens in the rest. But essentially, now that Kira's gone, that leaves 11 people in room Z. 11 people is the amount of players on a soccer team, and... This group is now going to be Blue Lock's Team Z. Sometimes they'll cooperate, sometimes betray. Rivals working together and against each other. And we get just like a good two-page spread with, uh, um, with shots of all 11 of them. About half of which have gotten some good time in this introductory tag game. And some of whom we're going to dive more into as the manga progresses. Sports, it's serious business. Are you having fun yet? <laughs> I think this two-page spread's real good. Yeah. After this, the rest of this volume one is essentially just sort of establishing some day-to-day -day information about how their training lives are gonna be. Like, they all have to go through some stamina tests. After the results of all of that, they all get, like, updated number rankings. And at first, it's like, oh, we went up a lot. But then it's like, oh wait, if every team just kicked someone out, we went up because we're now out of a lower number. We're not actually all that much better. It's like, we are better a bit because some people are gone, but it's like, oh, I'm still second from last, but I survived. We get like some shots of the cafeteria where it's revealed that the type of food that they get corresponds to how high they rank. So if you perform better, you get better food. And if you're bottom of the totem pole you get these shitty food so just you better work hard if you even want to feel nourished it's a brainwashing facility it's so fun this it's is so ridiculous psychological warfare on these children it's it's horrible it is a crime it is great manga <laughs> yeah we just get some more stuff with Yoichi and Bachira. Bachira is the sleepy bendy bitch from earlier who kicked um, Temple Boy in the face. And yeah, we sort of get this burgeoning relationship uh, character dynamic between the two where Bachira recognizes that Yoichi has a monster inside of him like he has inside of himself. And it's just a bunch of talking about monstrousness and the voices inside you and intuition as you play. To clarify, when we say relationship, we mean friendship, but also, like, it is kind of vibing that way, to be honest. Yeah, like, they're not, there's not, like, a romantic relationship on panel. But, you know, every two characters in this series you could read for a certain way, you know, because it's the whole, like... We're in this situation where this is the deepest I've ever felt about anything, and I'm looking at you with my big eyes, looking at your big eyes, and you see the monster in me, and I have one, and you have one, and yada yada. If they were opposite genders, or this comic was actually a gay comic, this would just be a romantic scene. While they're doing big eyes and talking about their egos, 
and we get some more just intense teeth gritting and like shots where we get the sort of like aura around them that I mentioned earlier, which I always love is just hyper dramatic inking of like, I'm really getting in the zone. You can see it in how dramatic the inking is. Close up faces, sweating. That's another way to take it. And (laughs) yeah, we get some more just sort of like narration about the facility of like, there's this many wings and this many players and teams and just if you want your life to get better and to get better food maybe you shouldn't be such a shitty fucking soccer player maybe get better bitch and yeah as the volume rounds out there's a little like cut back to the japan football union uh some like press conferences or some people are like isn't this ridiculous and then you hire again is like do you want japan to be good or nah if we want to be good, we have to coop these children up and we need to have Giraffe Jigsaw fucking torment them. Or do you not want to win the World Cup? If they're bad at football, give them shitty food. Yep. Again, like you said at the beginning, it's not the most cheesecakey thing it could be. But there is certainly a panel that's definitely constructed to be like. And here's that boob. She's still wearing like very normal clothes. I don't think it's... Even it's still like there's still clothes. It's like the way that the dialogue talks about it, it feels like her bra should be popping out or like she should be wearing a crop top or something. She's wearing perfectly professional clothes that are cut in a professional way. It's very like I don't, it's fine, it's fine. I just if if you're gonna write dialogue like that, I just expect the art to match it, and for some reason, it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, it's like fan service, but it's not extremely um, extreme, I guess. You know, like there are much more extreme versions of this. There's just enough to have it to be like, boys reading this, here's your boobah. But also this is serious, so only so much boobah. You're going to get a lot more just reading any standard panel of the X-Men just standing around perfectly normally. So I I don't know. Yeah. We wrap up with, like, the announcement going into Volume 2 is that they're going to be going into a tournament. So the volume sort of ends with that establishing the next stakes where the various teams at Blue Lock are going to face off. It's a tournament arc. That's that's a thing, right? Tournament arcs are a very big thing. Yeah, I've heard about those. Yeah, I guess. I guess we'll see what tournament arc I make you read first. But yes, those are a very big thing. Especially in sports manga, because virtually the entire thing is inherently a tournament arc. But we're going to get a real tournament arc. We'll read Ten of Swords. Yeah, we'll have that too. (laughs) That's a Um, tournament arc. Yeah. Um, Do you have any other specific moments or scenes or panels or anything you want to talk about? Or just beyond that, just like any final thoughts? I guess just like, you know, balls in your court. (laughs) Haha, soccer ball. There's that one panel where Ego is bent over completely backwards, where it's like that backwards walking spider thing that they do in like mid-level horror movies. I just I just want to make sure everyone knows that that's a thing that happens in this. He's like full like back broken backwards. No, I mean the main thing I wanted to talk about was like Kira's breakdown. That was for me just like the best and most sort of interesting character moment. And then like the the really excellent um, like action scene art going on with this sports games and the tag and stuff like that which yeah we've we've covered yeah kira's rant is really pivotal and then just like 
Yeah, a sports manga lives or dies by the quality of the art, and even if Ego does nothing for you, I'm glad you were at least able to appreciate the soccer. Yeah, yeah, no, good football scenes. Yeah. I don't think I'll pick future volumes of this for the show. I think I got, like, what I wanted out of the discussion, and I can tell you, with as far as I've read, I don't think your opinion's gonna change. It's very much like, if you're into volume one, it's gonna be more of that, you know? So I don't think that you personally are gonna get anything different out of continuing. But yeah, I love it. It was fun. So do you want to go ahead and uh, establish what we're gonna be reading next week? Uh, so next week we're taking it all the way back to 1938. We're gonna read the original Action Comics 1 through 3. Specifically the Superman parts, we're not reading any of the other fucking shit. And, like, I think DC Unlimited only has the Superman parts. I don't know if it's possible to read the other shit anywhere, because who cares about it? I've got a facility edition of Action Comics number one that has the other shit in it. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I didn't read it, but, like, it's there. I I think they actually do have it for, like, certainly the first couple. There's just the point where that book stops having any other shit in it at all. Yeah. But, yeah, we're going to be discussing... The first comics about the first superhero. We are easily doing the oldest comic we've discussed. And I think almost definitely will remain the oldest thing we ever discuss. I can't I can't even think of something earlier than this that we'd wind up picking. Like, before this, comic books were nothing but, like, reprints of newspaper strips about, like, comedic animals, so... I'm trying to think of a comic character older than Superman, and I currently cannot. Yeah, like, he's... Because he's older than Batman. He's older than Marvel's earliest. In terms of, like, characters of longevity, and who, like, originated as... The Shadow. We could do something for The Shadow. Mayhaps one day. But for now, next week, read Action Comics number one through three. The Superman parts. Uh, Thank you for listening, and bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,